Happy Easter, everybody. I brought out the whiteboard. Uh, I have an illustration throughout this message that is back when I used to be a youth pastor. I love this illustration, and it, it, it sticks with me. It's very basic and simple. So if you have like an IQ of like 2,000, and this, is, this might be a little elementary for you, but for my IQ level, it's like perfect understanding, all right? So bear with me. But I, I hope to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about today. Um, so if you guys have been coming to J-Road, you guys know we've been talking about conflict, right? Like a series on how to handle conflict with other people, with our spouses, with our kids, how to be better at conflict. And uh, I feel like I've been getting awesome feedback from you guys. God's working on some of you guys in your marriages and in your relationships, and things are like sparking, so that's awesome. So I'm sure you're thinking, is he going to be talking about conflict on Easter Sunday? Is he going to be talking about conflict, and is this going to be just a, a sermon on conflict? Uh, well, I, I have to say yes, all right? And, and I'll tell you why. Because the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is very much a story of conflict. The gospel in and of itself is a story of conflict, right? Uh, a conflict with a very sweet resolution, all right? And so I'm going to unpack that a little bit. Is how is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, a story of conflict? Um, and really, it all started with a tree, right? Does everybody know which tree I'm talking about? Yes. The tree in the Garden of Eden, you had Adam and Eve. They were created perfect. They, like, life was perfect. The earth and all that was created was perfect. There was no sin. There was no disease. There was no death. And Adam and Eve really could just do whatever they want. And, and apparently childbearing was, like, painless. And I don't know what that's like. I'm not a woman, and I've never had children. But from what I hear, childbearing is pretty painful right now. But back then, it wasn't. It was, I don't know what happened, but apparently the baby either walked out or slid out pain-free for everybody. And so it, like, that was just a, a, a part of the curse is the pain in childbearing, all right? So work was also fun, all right? Everybody loved their job. Nobody hated their job because work was good and work was fun. Um, and God was in perfect relationship with Adam and Eve, all right? So I'm going to erase this, but for sake... Let's say you have God and then mankind. I'll just draw a little stick figure. I said very simple, right? There is like a perfect relationship between man and God. God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day throughout the garden, and he would look at the trees, and they would talk, and they were in perfect communion, right? They were in relationship. How it was meant to be God with his creation. And what happened? Sin. Adam and Eve did the one thing that God told them not to do, right? You guys could basically skinny dip all the time because you're naked all the time, basically. You guys could ride a lion, you know, and it probably won't bite you. You could do whatever you want. But don't eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you do, you will die. 
That's the only thing, that was the only rule that they had. And guess what happened? They ate from the tree. Do you guys ever wonder why God put the tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden? Did you guys ever think about that? Like, why did God create Adam and Eve and put this tree there that if they they eat from it, they're going to die? Like, why did he do that? And I'll tell you, uh, the reason God did that is because of love. All right, he did it because of love. All right, and what do I mean by that? The Bible is a love story. It's a story about God loving his creation and him wanting his creation to love him back, right? I love my creation, but I want them to love me back, all right? And so, if, but here's the thing. In order to have love, you have to have a choice. Everybody say choice. You can't have love without a choice. You following with me? Um, uh, You can't have love without a choice. Forced love isn't love. It's something else. You can't force somebody to love you. Um, And why didn't God just program us to love him? Well, programmed love isn't love. It's robotics, right? You can't just, like, create something and just hardwire it to love you. Um, In order to have love, you have to have a choice. In order to have love, you have to have the choice not to love, right? You got to have the choice not to love. In order to have obedience, you have to have a choice to disobey, right? Like you can't, I can't lock my kids in a padded room and lock the door and be like, they're great. They're obeying me. They're not doing anything wrong in there. They don't have a choice. So in order to have love, you have to have the choice not to love. In order to have the obedience, you have to have a choice to disobey. And so, in order to have love, God created us with this thing called free will. And he wanted us to have it. It's everybody has a choice. So the people that choose to love God are doing it of their own free will. And if you have that, you're also going to have people that choose not to love God. And that's kind of just part of the gospel story. And it's, God basically leaves that up to us. So Adam and Eve sinned, and with it brought a curse on the whole human race. And the earth was cursed, there's death and disease, and basically humans, Adam and Eve, handed the king, keys to the kingdom over to the devil, and sin ruled the earth from, then, from that day forward. And every human sinned from that point, and was deemed a sinner. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans 5, 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So since we had this sin problem, humans were separated from God from that day forward. So going back to my uh, middle school illustration, all right? Um, imagine there's two cliffs, right? You have a cliff right here, and then you have a cliff right here. Man and God were together, right? Man and God were together, but now they're separated. So you have God over here, and mankind, this little stick figure, is over here. 
And between us and God, there is a chasm that can't be crossed. Okay? And I'll go back to that in a second. So death spread to everybody. We were all sinners. The Bible says that we were at war with God before, before Christ came. We were at war with God. We were enemies of God. We were in conflict with God. Hence why it fits with the conflict series, right? Like we were in conflict. Um, sin isn't just a lighthearted mistake, right? Sin is choosing your own path. God, I'm going to go this way. I know your word says do this, but I'm going to do this, and I'm going to choose my own path. And you know what? God lets us do that because we have free will, right? And so we, we sin, we mess up, uh, and with that, we're separated from God. We've, and sin is turning your back on God. It's choosing your own path. The Bible says that before we totally give our lives to Jesus, we are enemies of God. Look at what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. See, at one time, you were following the passions of your flesh. You were going your own way. You're doing whatever you wanted, following the devil, basically. And you were children of wrath. It's good to understand that before Christ, we were considered enemies of God. And we were like inheritance of his wrath soon to come. And so, you know, we were all at one time headed for hell. And, and that was all of us. And some of us, if you look at your life right now, I want to ask, does that fit the bill right now? Meaning, have you never truly given your heart to Jesus, given your life to Jesus? Are you following the path of the world or are you following God's path laid out in the Bible? Are you following the prince of the air or are you following the prince of peace? Are you living by the passions of your flesh, doing whatever feels good, or are you living by faith? And that's the question that I want us to answer today. So we are all in need of reconciliation. So here we are, separated from God. There's a chasm between us, and we are all in need of reconciliation. And nothing we can do can get us to God, all right? Many of us think that when we go to heaven, God's going to take all the good things we did and put them over here. He's going to take all the bad things we did and put them over here. And hopefully the good outweighs the bad. Is that how it works? Absolutely not. Because no matter how hard we try, we fall short. And some of us are better than others, and we go this far, but we still fall short. <laughs> some of us are worse from others, and we just go right straight down right there. But I don't care if you're this guy 
who's committed murder, or this person who's only told one white lie in their entire life, it's still not good enough. Because you can never be good enough to fill this gap between you and God. Does that make sense? And you're like, but I'm a member of the church. That, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you will go to heaven if you become a member of a church. If you go to church, it's like, like, going to church is good. It's what we're supposed to do, but it's not what saves us. Being good and doing good deeds are good. It's what we're supposed to do. It doesn't save us. Every effort we get to try to make it to God is always going to fall short. And we know people that are striving to do this, right? Does anybody know anybody that's trying to earn their way to heaven? It's exhausting. It's exhausting, right? I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be good, but I realize I can't be perfect. And so I realize I'm always falling short. And at the end of the day, I'm still separated from God. So look at what Paul goes on to say, the second part of Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9. So we were enemies of God. We are children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And then Ephesians 2, verse 4, has one of the best phrases in the Bible, is but God. Despite this, it says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By the grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. Not a result of works so that no man may boast. You see that? It's saying it's not, a, it's not a matter of trying hard enough because it's not a matter of works. You've been saved by grace. God, being rich in mercy, did something for us that we could not do ourselves. Amen? We couldn't do it ourselves. It's like we're powerless from this. We're powerless to fill this gap. But isn't this passage amazing? When you really think about it, we went from enemies of God in conflict, which we were on the definitely the wrong side of, from being dead in our sins to being made alive in Christ. Amen? God did not put us down. He raised us up, it says. He raised us up, seated us at the right hand in a place of honor. We needed saving and rescued and God sent Jesus to earth to be the atoning sacrifice. And so he died so we wouldn't have to. In this conflict that we had with God, that we couldn't fix, we needed a mediator to fix this problem. And that's where, you know, John 3.16 comes in. Everybody knows the verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because God loved us so much. And, and here's another verse, like John 3.16, but I think it, it kind of fits the bill, is 1 Timothy 2.5. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator 
between God and man. That man is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, who was in the very nature of God, part of the Trinity, came down, put on flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, and yet died, not to pay his penalty, but to pay our penalty. Amen? And so, in my middle school illustration that I fully acknowledge, Christ coming down went to the cross, and the cross bridged the gap. Does that make sense? Feel free to take this illustration and use it with your friends and coworkers. We were separated, and the only way to bridge a gap between us and God was the cross of Jesus Christ. When, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he made a bridge because his sinless death can be accounted to our account. Our guilty verdict came with a penalty, and the penalty was death. And Jesus says to the judge, I will pay the penalty of death on the cross so they don't have to. I was sinless so they could be attributed as sinless. And so now we are righteous. We, are, we have the possibility to be made righteous. This isn't on the screens, but in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus never once sinned. That's what makes Good Friday such a good day for us to celebrate and reflect on is that Jesus bore all of the beatings, the crown of thorns, the nailing his hands and feet to the cross for us because he loved us and he wanted to build a bridge between us and God so that when we die, we do not have to go to hell. We can have heaven and eternity. Amen? And that is the beauty of Good Friday and why we say, yes, Lord, thank you, God, that I don't have to suffer this consequence. He was perfect. And here's the good news that the people spread everywhere about Jesus Christ is this. You do not need to feel the weight of guilt and shame anymore. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to feel the weight of guilt and shame. You never have to feel like you don't measure up to God. Because guess what? We don't. But Jesus did. And we could just rest in his atoning sacrifice. Amen? Jesus um, measures up. He took our place. So praise God, we don't need to measure up and strive to be saved. We just need to believe. We just need to put our faith in him and believe. And make him Lord and Savior, right? Like, you, like, you know that phrase is used very intentionally, like, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Because when he died and we have to choose him, we can choose to make him our savior, right? Like we want a savior. Everybody wants fire insurance. Everybody, nobody wants to go to hell. We all want a savior. So we believe in Jesus as our savior, but few of us want to make Jesus our Lord. Does that make sense? Like, like saying, God, I surrender to you. And that's what God wants from us. He just doesn't want us to put our faith in him and believe that he did die on the cross because even the demons believe that and shudder. He wants us to surrender our whole lives to him. And so that's where he's not just our Savior, but he's also our Lord. Isn't that good? And that's what he wants us to do. That's what he wants us to believe. 
and it is good. Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday, paying the price for our sins, and on Easter Sunday, he rose from the tomb. He, he resurrected himself, declaring victory over death. So in the same way, when our short time on earth is over, we experience life and not death. On our funerals, where unless Jesus comes back, we're all going to have a funeral, our body is being cast off like a peanut shell, basically. And it's all fitting to return it to the earth because we came from dust and our bodies are going to go back to dust. But our souls don't experience death. For those of us that believe in Jesus, our souls go to heaven, amen? It says, altogether fitting, we just cast off our earthly bodies. And then we receive new bodies at the resurrection. So, because Jesus came and bridged the gap between us and God, is everybody on earth saved? No. I honestly believed that at one time. I thought, hey, Jesus died for our sins of mankind, so we all, when we all die, we all get to go to heaven because Jesus died for the sins of mankind. And then I read the Bible verse that says, narrow is the path to righteousness, and wide is the path to destruction. So, do you remember what I talked about in the beginning about that free will and choice thing? We have to choose to accept Jesus, make him Lord and Savior, and surrender our life to him. So it's, it's one thing to believe in our head, but it's another thing to really change our lives to say, God, I'm making you Lord of my life. Whatever that is, whatever I have to give up, I'm going to give up for you because I love you that much. I'll give it up. Whatever it says. You know what? Whatever the Bible says, I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to try to do it. And if anybody points something out in there that my life doesn't line up with, I'm going to change. Because that's what it means about making him Lord of our life. So we have to put our trust in him. Jesus paid the price and opened the door for salvation, but you still need to walk through the door. You still need to walk through the door. And so, essentially, when you surrender your life to Christ, I can give this guy a smiley face, actually. Um, when we surrender our life to Christ, we are choosing to walk across to be with God. And that's essentially what it is to follow God and accept Him. And so, I say all that with this illustration. I use it a lot because a lot of us See that the cross is here, but we really like to be here. Right? One foot, on, one foot uh, with Jesus, but we also want one foot in the world. Right? We do not fully want to walk all the way across and accept God. There's something holding some of us back from complete surrender, and God doesn't want that. We must walk and surrender our lives to him. We were saved by grace through faith. And you might be saying, I believe in God. But the next step is you have to surrender your life to him. Complete surrender. Another word for surrender is repent. Have you ever heard of the word repent? 
Um, look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. This is right in the beginning of the book of Mark. And Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Saying repent and believe in the gospel. Repent means you turn. Everybody say turn. Okay. Just do that and make sure you're tracking with me. Repent means turn. So you're driving down the wrong way of the highway, right? You're driving down the wrong way. The signs say wrong way. And you keep going. And to repent means you turn around and you start going the way you're supposed to go, right? And that's what God wants us to do. Is he saying, you are on a highway for destruction. And if you, some of us just hold down the gas pedal, think it's going to get better, and our lives are going to get better, and it doesn't. We need to turn and turn our lives to Jesus and repent. It doesn't end well the other way. So here is our sign. Everyone needs to turn from the way that they are going and go the way of Jesus. Amen? Are you ready to totally surrender your life to Christ? Not just say, yeah, I believe that, but you say, I am ready to surrender my whole life to Jesus. Whatever comes, I'll take it. There are some people in here that have never made that commitment. And there's some people in here today who's been in church for 18 years, 15 years, 20 years, that are still kind of right here, Maybe they're here, but they've never fully surrendered their life and said, God, I, I fully surrender my life to you. I'm going to follow you. Forgive me of all my sins. Let's go. I want all that you have to offer, not the one foot in, one foot out thing. So my question is, is are we fully surrendered? Today is the day. When you repent and surrender your life to God, you are saying, God, I vow to follow you whatever the cost, whatever may come. I don't know the future, but I trust you fully no matter what. And this is like what surrendering our life to Christ looked like. We all did this. Some of us did this at one time. Have you never fully committed your life to Christ? And I want to give you guys that opportunity to do that today. Um, maybe you've never did it. Maybe you did it, but the last so many years, you've been kind of just going your own way and trying your own thing, and it hasn't been working out for you. That's some of us. Um, maybe you were once on fire for God, and you were excited, but that excitement has just kind of like fizzled out, and it's not there anymore. Maybe there are people who have been in church their whole lives but are holding back from God, and today is the day to give it over. Maybe you're following God, but you just want to commit, recommit your life to God, and you've become stuck and passive in your faith. Today is the day for surrender. And here's the thing. When we surrender our lives to God, we are saved. You know, once saved, always saved. When you give your heart to Jesus, you're saved. But all throughout our Christian life, it's a daily surrender. Not for salvation, because that was done once, but it's a daily surrender of, God, I'm, I'm awake, it's Monday morning, and I surrender my life to you today again. Because our flesh side is going to always come creeping back. 
We have to keep surrendering that to God. So wherever you land, and the worship team could come forward and, and get ready because I'm about to pray. Wherever you land, whether you are passionately following Jesus and you just want to re-surrender your life to Christ, whether you have totally not been following Jesus and you want to surrender your life for the first time, I want to encourage you guys to come up here and kneel at the altar and just surrender your life to Christ now. And I could tell you the words to say, but it's not really about the words you say. It's about giving Jesus all in your heart. Right? It's about saying yes to God. God, I believe in you. God, I realize I've been going my own way, and I don't want to do this anymore because it's simply not working. And I want to encourage you guys during this last song, um, maybe you just want to come up and worship up here. Um, if you want prayer, I'll be over here. You can come over here. Um, and we'll have some people over here to pray for you as well. So you can do that. Or you can just pray at the altar as you feel led. But I want to encourage you, give your life to Jesus today. Recommit, commit for the first time, celebrate, surrender your life to Jesus. Because he doesn't want a piece of you. He wants all of you. He wants every part of your life. He wants your midnight, your two in the morning on Friday. He wants every part of you because he loves you. The price he paid for you was so expensive. It was the blood of his only son. That's how much he loves you. So I want to invite you to come up during this last song and just kneel here at the altar and do business with God. So let's pray. Let's bow our heads. God, we love you. And God, I pray that everybody in here does business with you, God. So that we become a church that's totally surrendered to you, not holding anything back. Not grasping for the things of this world because we know it's like grasping for sand. One minute our hands are full and the next minute our hands are empty. But you, God, are like grasping for gold where our hands are never empty. That's why you say you're the wellspring of life, the fountain that never runs out. You're the bread of life where we never go hungry. God, help us lay down our lives for you because you laid down your life for us. Help us call out to you, God. Just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.